Real quick, before we get started, I'd like to thank you for your constant support. It's been amazing. If you have a story to tell, please reach out via email at contact at campfirecultpod.com or leave me a voicemail at 720-297-8608. If neither of those options work for you, you can always record a voice memo and send it to me via email. Either way, I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Welcome, dear listener, to the Campfire Cult Podcast. From a camper van deep in the haunted woods, I bring you first-hand accounts of chilling encounters with the paranormal. Step into the night and take a peek into the realm where reality and the supernatural collide. My name is Jazz, and I'll be your host. Welcome back, campers. I think we have a good one for you tonight. We're currently camped off a logging road within the lush forests of Olympic National Park in Washington State. This week, we're going to be doing another Ground Zero episode focused on the mysteries surrounding Olympic National Park and the surrounding areas of the Olympic Peninsula. This first story occurs in a place that's very similar to where I'm currently camped out, a clear-cut section of forest along a rugged logging road. You can still smell the sap from the recently cut trees and it seems like there's about a foot of detritus and tree trimmings all around me. Gotta say, it's a perfect place for a monster to be hiding out. Our first encounter takes place within the Ho Forest on the Olympic Peninsula. A couple of years ago, my girlfriend and I embarked on a spontaneous two-week trip to Washington State. We didn't have a detailed plan, we just winged it and kind of just went along. Our journey took us to several places, starting in Yakima, then Seattle, followed by Olympia, Remington, Forks, and eventually, we decided to visit the Ho National Forest. I won't delve into the details of the trip leading up to this point, as it might not be relevant to the story. However, as we were navigating our way to the Ho Forest, we somehow got lost. We veered about 20 miles off course and found ourselves well within what appeared to be a tree logging operation. It was vast, with tree stumps stretching as far as the eye could see. As we drove through the area, the sun began to set. I can't recall the exact time, but something peculiar caught my eye about 100 to 125 yards off to the left of the road. There was movement, and it was moving swiftly, from the left side of the road to the right. At first I thought it was a bear, but my confusion deepened when I saw a crossing of the road running very swiftly on two hind legs. I observed the mysterious figure for roughly 15 seconds before it vanished into the deep dark forest. It was moving at incredible speed, perhaps 30 miles an hour or more. I'm not sure if it could have been a bear. I don't even know if bears run that fast on their hind legs or even if they do that at all. To this day, I just have no explanations for it. For our next encounter story, on a remote hiking expedition in the Olympic National Forest, a man and his two dogs come across what they think is a man in a ghillie suit spying on them. I was hiking in the Olympic National Forest a few years ago by myself with my two dogs. 
We were four days in, around 20 miles at least, as the crow flies from the next maintained mountain road. I was camping at around 7,000 feet that night, or right where the tree line started thinning out. So when we got to the campsite, which was a big open meadow on top of a secondary mountain, it was about an hour from sunset. My big dog usually runs around within the proximity of the camp as I put up a tent and make dinner, you know, the usual stuff. But I noticed this time was a little bit different. He kept staring up the steep tree-filled mountainside, tail straight up and barking. Not the type of bark that he has when he sees marmots or other little hairy creatures dogs love to chase, but rather a very concerning bark. The day before, I found a note left under a rock at the last landmark saying that there was a problem bear in the area that was harassing a party of campers a few days ago. And I myself had seen big cat tracks the day before, so I was rightfully concerned that this may be more than just ground squirrels. I decided to go climb some of the boulders at the foot of the hill while I took my time looking up the hillside for movement before I went to go hang my bear bag up there. They were the only trees around to hang my bag. I didn't see or hear anything, but my dog kept quietly whining like there was something up there to be concerned about. So while still concerned, I started to hike up this very steep hill to hang the bag. It was so steep I had to use trees to actually balance and lean again so I didn't go tumbling down before making another five or six steps push to the next tree I could lean against. Anyway, I'm slowly making my way up the ridge, hopping from tree to tree to keep my balance. Then I get about 100 feet up the hill and I hear a whole lot of big movement, about 50 feet in front of me. My dog immediately goes from a deep growl to a savage slobber flying everywhere type of bark. My heart starts pounding out of my chest and I start to panic, because if this is a bear, my dog is going to try to save me, and in which case, he'll likely die. If I have to get off this hillside fast, I almost 100% am going to trip and fall onto the boulders below, so I'm feeling pretty screwed at the moment. Then I hear my other little dog start barking and freaking out down at the campsite. I had zipped her up into the tent so she wouldn't wander off while I was away, so yeah, I'm absolutely panicking at this point. After a few seconds, I kind of snap back into it, and I take a few more seconds to put my survival priorities in order and call my dog Loki back to me. He comes and sits against my feet. As my back is against a tree, I'm kind of pinned at the moment, but my dog was seemingly trying to separate me from something further up the hill. This is when I realized I completely forgot that I had my headlamp on. I reached up so fast to turn on my headlamp, I basically punched myself in the face. I have some serious adrenaline dumps going on right now, so much so that my knees are starting to knock together. I get my lamp on and peer up the hillside. I figure I'll at least get some reflection from the eyes of whatever's up there. As I'm peering, I see nothing, nothing at all. But I just heard something, we both did. And whatever it was, didn't get away without us hearing it. I knew something was still there. So I'm kind of just steadfast at the moment. I really need to know what's up there because I have to sleep here tonight. If I'm out in the middle of nowhere alone, better to face it now than when I'm alone in the tent like a sitting duck with my two dogs. As I'm looking up the hill, at one point my dog lunges forward, unpinning me. He does a fake bluff charge up the hill about 15 feet, and I mean he's snarling and foaming at the mouth at this point. As he does this, I finally see movement, something moving up and breaking the line of the horizon. My dog's bluff made whatever it was blow its cover. I call my dog back and silently watch. And what I saw next made my heart stop. There was a man, or at least I think it was a man, crouched about 75 feet directly in front of me, wearing not camo clothes per se, but really some raggedy ass hood that blended in with the environment perfectly. Actually, almost like a makeshift ghillie suit, but with his face completely exposed. I couldn't see his eyes and his face was covered in dirt or something, but I knew he was staring right at me at that moment. So I stare for what seems like minutes. No words. I felt like I was trying subconsciously to convey that I was going to stand my ground. I wanted him to know that I saw him, but I guess I was just too shaken to speak. 
As I'm staring, my little dog back at the campsite started to bark her head off again, like she was scared. And I also had to get off this hill before total dark, or I could be seriously hurt trying to get back down. So carefully, I started back down the hill with my dog, who doesn't want to leave but listens. Periodically, I would stop with my back against a tree holding me up and look back at the direction again, just to make it even more clear that I saw him. Eventually, I make it down to the boulders at the bottom. By the time I finally jumped down and hit the boulders, my little dog had stopped barking. I thought she was barking just to bark at the time, because Dotsons do that sometimes, or just barking back at my other dog. But when I got there, my little dog somehow had gotten out of the tent and was walking around the camp growling. Still trying to hold it together, I thought, okay, maybe she just got her nose between the zippers and worked her way out. But I was positive I had zipped up the tent before I had left and the zipper was at the top of the tent, out of her reach. So in a mixture of being terrified, pissed off, and the feeling of needing to do something, I reached out to my day bag and pulled out my 45. I fired one shot into the air as the sun was setting, climbed into my tent without eating, and lay with my gun next to me until first light. As soon as the sun came up, I packed up all my shit and left in a hurry. It was all downhill on the way back, but I still couldn't cover the ground to get back to my car in one day. It was dark by the time I made it to my last camp, about four miles from my vehicle, but thankfully there were other people around. We sat around the fire they made, and I felt pretty relieved and safe. The thing that still creeps me out to this day though, is that when I got home, I started reading reviews of the same hike I was on, and other people had similar experiences as mine. One person even found a dead man along the same trail, just behind the boulders I was standing on two years prior, and a woman found murdered last year. Next, in the remote wilderness of the Olympic Peninsula, a camper found himself in a chilling encounter with a stranger stalking him. I was camping in the middle of nowhere, like not on an official campground, just way out in the forest somewhere that you don't expect to see another human for miles. One night, I woke up and heard something, opened my tent, and there was a guy sitting there by the fire right outside my tent. Nothing particularly noteworthy about the guy, just a fairly regular dude, just sitting there a couple feet from my tent. No bag or pack or anything with him, just a guy. He saw me open the tent and his eyes got huge, just like he saw a ghost or something in the night. It shook me up pretty bad that night, but over the next day I managed to put it out of my mind fairly well after writing it off as just some sort of odd occurrence with a guy that was probably high or something else. Then, two days and 15 miles away in total random directions, I was sitting by the fire that night and started hearing random noises off in the distance. I called out, and out of the darkness, somebody yelled, Do you know how to get to Bell Canyon? I said, No, that's in Utah, I think. They kept talking from just outside of my sight. I tried to see them with my flashlight, but they yelled, Stop shining that in my eyes. Kind of spooked and not wanting to piss off a potentially crazy person, I did. After something like 15 minutes of being very freaked out and them talking and asking completely random questions from the darkness, it sounded like the voice had gotten closer, so I shined my light in the direction again, and it was the same dude who had been outside of my tent two nights before. He had to have followed me almost 15 miles over the span of two days because there is no way he could have accidentally wound up in the same spot as I am in this vast wilderness. No possible way. As soon as my light hit him, he took off again. I started to chase him but didn't want to get too lost in the wilderness in the dark so I quickly stopped. This one couldn't be written off as an accident because the only way he could have been in both places is if he was following me. I decided the trip was over first thing in the morning and hiked back out over three days, constantly doubling back, trying to throw anyone following me off my trail, and occasionally hiding and waiting to see if he was following me. I really can't describe how terrifying it was to feel like I was being hunted through the woods, and to actually have to brainstorm on things I could do to best avoid potentially being murdered. On the first night of the hike out, twice I heard what sounded like a person walking circles around my tent, 
but by the time I mustered up the courage to look outside, nobody was there. On the second night, I heard what I thought was an animal making animal noises. Really what it sounded like was a person trying to make animal noises. But when looking outside, I didn't actually see the guy again. I almost cried when I finally got back to my car, the relief was so strong. To this day, probably most terrifying experience I've ever had. I have no idea who this guy was or what his intentions were and no way of getting an explanation, but I really can't articulate just how terrifying those few days were. For our next story, a family experiences the unexplained in a new house. I was eight years old when we first moved into this house at the edge of the forest. My parents had their doubts about buying a house with a backyard bordered by a dense forest. Concerns about wild animals hurting our dogs or worried one of us might venture too far into the trees and get lost. But it was cheap. My dad liked the seclusion and my mom loved the house. And my siblings and I were excited about playing in the backyard and exploring the forest. Our first sign that something wasn't right was that our dogs would absolutely not get close to the tree line. If a toy they'd been playing with found its way past the tree line, they would refuse to retrieve it and one of us would have to go get it while our dogs paced and whined until we returned. On occasion, we'd notice the dogs staring at a spot in the forest in obvious distress, sometimes growling or barking, but we could never see anything out there. My brother once carried one of the dogs into the trees to show that there was nothing scary to be barking about, but she wiggled out of his grip and sprinted back into the house in a panic. If we were in the backyard when it was getting dark, we sometimes heard noises like someone was walking through the forest, sticks crunching underfoot, branches being pushed aside. If we called out, there was no response. But if we shined a light around, we could occasionally see a glimpse of something off in the distance. It looked like a person, completely shrouded in black clothes, walking through the forest. My parents quickly banned us from entering the forest after dark, and even during the day, we weren't allowed to go out of sight of the house. My sister's bedroom window looked out onto the backyard and the forest beyond, and she remembers looking out her window one night, seeing a shadowy figure standing at the right side of the backyard at the edge of the tree line. She says there was something wrong with it, like it wasn't quite standing on the ground. It was a little too tall to be a person and she was convinced it was staring at her. She called for my dad saying that there was a man at the edge of the yard staring through her window. And when he ran outside to chase off whoever it was, but by the time the light from his flashlight passed over it, it suddenly just wasn't there anymore. We often heard knocking at the back door at night, but nobody was there. My parents thought it was teenagers playing pranks and stopped even bothering opening the door until one rainy night when the knocking was persistent and agitated. My mom pointed out there might be somebody needing shelter from the heavy rainstorm outside. But when she opened the door, not only was there nobody there, but there was no wet footprints on the porch. The knocking continued the whole time we lived there. It would happen several times in the span of a few weeks, then stop for months, then start up again. My parents eventually installed a security camera and there was never anyone at the door. The camera wasn't all useless though. About three years into living there, my brother started having night terrors and sleepwalking. When he went sleepwalking, he would always go out the back door and start walking towards the forest. My mom, being a light sleeper, would hear him open the door and would run out to grab him before he got into the forest. After the third or fourth time it happened, my brother asked to see the camera footage because he wanted to see what he looked like when he was sleepwalking, I guess thinking he'd look funny. The footage showed him walking out the front porch, then pausing as if he was listening for something and shaking his head, then reluctantly walking forward as if he was being pulled or forcefully guided by something. One evening, my dad was in the backyard and he heard my little sister calling from the forest, seemingly in distress. Thinking she'd gone exploring into the forest and fallen over and hurt herself, he ran in and started calling out her name, 
but quickly realized it was too dark to see her and he couldn't pinpoint where her voice was coming from. He told her to wait there while he ran and grabbed a flashlight. When he finally got to the house to grab the flashlight, he saw my sister inside, safe and completely unconcerned. At the time, my dad hadn't told us about hearing my sister's voice in the forest, so when I heard my mom's voice coming from the forest months later, while I was outside with the dogs one evening, I didn't even question it, despite not remembering seeing my mom pass me in the dark. My mom was calling to me, saying that she had gotten her sweater caught in some branches and needed me to come out and help her. As I walked in, the dogs started barking, alerting my dad, who saw me through the window wandering into the forest. He came outside and called to me, and I said I was just going to help mom. He yelled back that mom was inside and I needed to run back and get to the house quick, which I did. After this, my parents had a fence built around the backyard and started looking for new places. In the time between the fence being built and us moving out, it got way worse. We'd heard knocking at the door more regularly, as well as tapping on the windows as if someone was walking around the perimeter of the house trying to look into every window and letting us know that they were there. We would often hear scratching and scraping sounds at the fence and voices beyond it. My brother's night terrors got more frequent, and one night my mom didn't even hear the door open when he was sleepwalking, and he woke up standing at the fence staring into the forest with the dogs barking at him. The last morning we spent there, less than four years after we moved in, we woke up to the back door fully open and the security camera footage showing it slightly swing open on its own. Since moving out, my brother's sleepwalking has stopped. Although he still gets night terrors and he suffers from pretty severe anxiety, a few nights ago, he called me out of the blue, and after a bit of small talk, he asked me if I think the door being open that night means whatever it was finally got in. He was trying to make light of it, saying he was getting into the spirit of Halloween, joking about how maybe we should all get exercise just in case something latched onto us while we were there. But I think he was deeply bothered by everything that happened. I know I still am a little. I still get nervous around dark wooded areas. I don't know what I think it was out there in the forest behind our house that night, but I get the feeling, given the chance, it would have swallowed us whole. Up next, we're headed back to the summer of 1995. A family picking wild berries by the river felt something watching them, returning later to encounter rock throwing and mimicry. Strange encounters continue to this day. The first incident dates back to around the summer of 1995. It has been a while, so I can't completely be sure of the exact dates. One of my older sisters and her three young daughters were out looking for a place to pick wild berries with my younger sister. There were blackberries in abundance there, which was kind of odd considering it was so close to the road and there were many people out picking berries at this time of year. They picked berries for just a few minutes when they began to feel uneasy, like there was somebody watching them. The girls started to get scared and after a few moments, their uneasiness turned into outright fear for really no seeable reason and they decided to waste no time leaving. My younger sister related the events of the day to me when she got home that evening. And being curious about such things, we decided to make another trip out there the following day so I could experience the oppressive atmosphere firsthand. We lived in Hokum at the time and got a late start, so it was completely dark when we arrived the next evening. My sister, her husband, and myself were somewhat prepared, having brought flashlights and a point-and-shoot 35mm camera. It was a walk about 300 yards from the side of the road to the river, and the going was made a bit more difficult because of the downhill slope, and the fact that it rained a couple of days earlier, the track was all mud and pretty slippery. We walked, or more appropriately, slipped down the edge of the riverbank and stopped to observe the area. It was very dark and seemed quite isolated. But other than that, it felt normal. No sense of impending doom, no unseen presence felt. We idled around there for about 10 minutes and were about to go home when all of a sudden there was a tremendous bang. It sounded very much like a shotgun at first and we thought somebody was shooting at us. We ducked and began to make our way back to the car when we heard a very loud splashing sound just off the shore of the river. 
It sounded to me like a cow or a large deer had fallen in and was struggling to swim. Being young and foolish, I thought this would be a very cool picture, so I made my way back down to the bank and was about to peer over the edge to get my shot when the thrashing ceased and there was this very distinct sound of a large rock being thrown into the river. This was quickly followed by another and soon another. I turned to my sister and she said, Oh my God, there's something throwing rocks at us. And by this time, her brave husband was already well on his way back up to the car in a dead run and we were right on his heels in a mad panic, slipping and sliding all the way up the hill. After a few moments, Sanity returned to my sister and she grabbed my arm and said, wait, listen. And we stopped a few yards back up the track and listened. Now, you may be wondering why the sound of some rocks being thrown into the water freaks us out so much. This area is quite desolate and the river was very cold and deep with eddies that could easily pull you under and drown you. The riverbank is quite steep and it's almost a sheer 25 foot drop down to the water with no easy footing when the tide is in and the river is up. So anybody that would be crazy enough to stand out there in the middle of nowhere in the dead of the night by a dark, dangerous river and casually throwing very large rocks into the water was not the kind of person we wanted to meet at the time. It just felt very wrong and our instincts told us to leave now. Anyway, we stood there listening for a moment when my sister grabbed my arm again and yelled something to the effect of, oh my God, it's coming. And she ran up the hill in a blind panic. And although I didn't see or hear anything, we made it up to the car, having slipped and fallen in the mud several times, and beat on the door for her husband to unlock it and let us in. We sat in the car for a few minutes, gathered our wits, and decided to get out and have another listen. Since nothing seemed to be following us up the hill, we stood close to the car this time and heard no more splashing at the river, but after a few moments we heard one single large branch snap in the woods off to our right. It was silent for a few moments, and we heard a soft rustling of bushes from the same area. I told my brother-in-law to throw a rock in that direction to see if we can get any response, and he tossed a fairly sizable stone in that general direction, and we heard a bit more commotion. I yelled, hello there, to make sure we weren't tossing rocks at a person and got no answer, then whistled and heard the strangest sound I've ever heard before or since. Whatever it was in the brush attempted to mimic my whistle. It didn't blow air through its lips to make the sound, but instead tried vocalizing it. I don't really know how to describe it. It was somewhat high pitched, but had a very deep undertone, and you could tell that this thing had some incredible lung capacity. It wasn't even straining, yet had a volume several times louder than my own. This disturbed us quite a bit, and we decided to leave. We returned the next night and brought four other people with us, and within a few minutes of darkness, it would get very quiet, and then the rock throwing would start all over again. Sometimes on our side of the river, sometimes on the other side. We returned to the area several times with several different people, and always heard something. I won't detail all the instances here, but we'll note some strange occurrences. After about our third visit there, we noticed a different phenomenon just after dark. We'd hear the sound of large rocks being clicked together, usually starting on the far side of the river and then answering with something clicking on our side of the river. Several times we tried to duplicate the sound, but it always sounded bigger and louder, no matter how large of the rocks we used. Sometimes we heard snapping and wrestling in the bushes off to the both sides of us. We went there in the daylight to look for anything unusual, but typically found absolutely nothing. One interesting note, we never saw nor heard anything unusual in the daylight. Even on bright moonlit nights, we often would hear nothing. My theory is this thing is nocturnal, and if there was even a remote possibility of us seeing it, it would keep quiet. The only time anybody saw anything strange was when my younger sister and I were left alone on the site for a few hours, waiting for our ride to return. We were standing at the riverbank, basically enjoying the sunset, when my sister said, Holy shit, it's Bigfoot, and pointed to the far bank. I looked where she was pointing, but it was too late. It had already disappeared into the thick brush. 
My sister told me she was scanning a gravel bank we had just noticed earlier in the day when a large black object she had assumed was a stump suddenly stood up and took three quick steps back towards the woods and was gone. The sun was almost down and the gravel bank was deep in shadows, so she could make out very little detail, but she said it was definitely not a cow or a bear. She said it walked on two legs and she got the impression it was walking hunched over and had no neck and massive shoulders, and that the body seemed almost bulky, kind of like the Incredible Hulk. She said it moved very fast, like it knew we were there and it was trying to sneak away. Apparently it was bent over the gravel bar for some time. She noticed it when she first looked away and it was several minutes before it got up and moved. She seemed quite shaken by the event and it was a long wait while it got dark, us there alone with no way out and no car to hide in. I don't think we returned after that. My sister moved back to Florida where her husband was stationed and I got a job driving truck. I moved back to Washington a couple years ago and last summer decided to return to the area to see if there was still any activity. The first time I went back, I brought along another sister, her husband, and their 14-year-old son. We arrived at the site after dark again. I had trouble finding it after such a long time. This was in the middle of July and the moon was quite bright and we hardly even needed flashlights. We walked down to the riverbank and noticed how the place hadn't really changed at all over the years. We stood there for about a half hour listening to the frogs and other little night creatures and heard nor felt anything unusual, so we decided to leave. I had pretty much figured that whatever was down there back then moved on, but I wasn't quite ready to give up. We returned the following week, and this time it was cloudy and pitch black. We walked down to the river once again and stood there talking for about 10 minutes when my nephew said, Shh, listen. And we did. I was about to say that I didn't hear anything when I realized what he was talking about. It had suddenly gotten very quiet. All of the frogs quit croaking, and the atmosphere felt dead calm. It began to feel very eerie, and things happened so quickly I have trouble recalling the exact events of the day. Two things happened almost at the same time. We heard the yap of a single coyote very close by, which was strange, they almost always travel in packs. Then we heard something very large scrambling up the riverbank, no more than 20 feet away. We all began to run, because whatever it was was coming right towards us and fast. I got a sudden case of the Braves and said, don't run. Then I heard very definite, heavy footsteps in the brush, no more than 10 feet away and still coming after us. And I said, okay, maybe jog. And we proceeded to hightail it up to the car. We sat in the blazer for a few minutes with the windows down, listening and heard nothing further, but none of us wanted to walk back down to the riverbank that night. The experience had me so fired up that I bought one of those new Sony Handycams with the night shot infrared system the next weekend and was determined to get some evidence. We went out there that Saturday armed with my new video camera and stalked around looking for tracks or anything that stood out until it got dark. We found nothing as the ground there was not conducive to track retention, being mostly gravel, weeds, and deep brush. It seemed to avoid the muddy track completely. We were at the riverbank just after dark when we heard a single loud splash and then heavy steps and brush crashing. I should note that earlier that day, we climbed down to the bank to the place where it always seems to come from, and it was so rough and steep, it took several minutes to make it back up the bank, and that was keeping to the trail. This thing always came through heavy brush. My sister and nephew ran back towards the truck, and I walked quickly backwards, filming as I went, hoping to get a video of this thing emerging from the brush. It stayed just within the brush, and thus out of sight, and it stopped chasing after me as I retreated halfway back up the hill. I was feeling brave behind the lens and started to advance back down towards it, and then heard two heavy footsteps coming in my direction and got the distinct impression that I should leave now. We got back to the truck and left, and I haven't returned since. My sister feels it's too dangerous to go back, and I won't go there alone. Whatever it is, it's totally territorial. I get the feeling that it was charging us to get out of its immediate area, and then when we got, went back to the vehicle, it was okay. The experiences I've had this time around were much different than the first time. 
There was no rock splashing or rock clicking this time, just sudden and very aggressive charges towards us. I haven't been there since the first part of August 1998, and I would very much like to return to the site with somebody that had more experience with these kinds of things than I do. If there are any serious researchers out there and are interested in this site, let me know and perhaps we can take you out there. I would love to find out what this really is. Man, I would absolutely love to know where this is. Kind of wonder if I'm camping close to it right now. Now, strange creatures in the forest, dark shadows in the night, and odd sounds coming from the deep dark woods are not the only strange things that can be found deep in the Pacific Northwest. For this next story, I'm taking you back to the summer of 2016, where a shimmering rectangular object with a brightness like a welding arc was seen near Elma, Washington. On September 10th, 2016, around 12.10 p.m., during my daily walk near Utility Lane in Elma, Washington, I observed a large, shimmering, and fast-moving rectangular object. The sighting lasted for about three to five seconds during the day without a cloud in the sky. My location's elevation was at approximately 300 feet and the object seemed to be heading east of Elma towards a southerly direction over the hills to Oakville, which is about 500 feet in elevation. After those few seconds, the object's color changed to black and it descended in altitude, disappearing behind the nearby hill. Throughout the observation, I did not hear any accompanying sounds. From my vantage point, I couldn't accurately determine the distance and the size of the object. However, I can confidently say that its speed far exceeded that of a standard prop plane. Interestingly, there were no other planes in the vicinity at the time, despite the presence of a small airport nearby and the area being a flight path for Military and SeaTac International Airport. I'm quite familiar with the planes, ultralights, and helicopters in the region, having seen them on almost a daily basis over the years, but this object was something entirely different. What prompted me to report this sighting was the object's incredibly bright shimmer, akin to the intensity of a welding arc. It was almost too dazzling to look at, surpassing the brightness of even aluminum-skinned planes. As a side note, I mentioned my sighting to a friend in Oakville, Washington. Interestingly, she experienced a sudden and thundering sound while speaking on the phone with a friend in California that day. The sound echoed somewhat, but then it vanished as quickly as it emerged. This happened at around the same time I was witnessing the mysterious object, even though our locations were about 15 miles apart. Whether these two events are related or not remains uncertain. Stories like this are the reason why Washington is considered the U.S.'s UFO hotbed. Washington state has logged more reports of unidentified flying objects per capita than any other state in the country. That's according to data from the National UFO Reporting Center. You'd think they're the authority on this. Washington residents have reported at least 6,812 UFO sightings. The earliest ones report back to the 1940s. The National UFO Reporting Center is based in Washington, another sign that the state is truly the place to be to spot ET. Aside from these reports, I witnessed what at the time I thought was my first significant UFO sighting. It was around 9 p.m. I was driving south on Interstate 5 from Arlington, Washington, when I witnessed a string of bright streaking lights across the sky in front of me. Along with everybody else on the interstate at the time, I stopped, got out of my vehicle, and tried to film the event happening in front of us. All I got off was a pretty crappy picture that I eventually posted to Instagram. Thankfully, and surprisingly, no one was injured during this event where everybody stopped on a very busy interstate. I was only able to bask in the glow of the event for about an hour before I heard the news. 
Snohomish County all the way down to Portland and beyond. People are sharing videos tonight of debris flashing in the sky. This is from Justin in Maple Valley and take a look here. Fred sent us this video from Seattle wanting to know what the heck is in the sky. The good news is that we do have some answers for you tonight and good evening. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jessica Janner Castro. I'm Mark Wright, so we can confirm this was part of a rocket coming back down into orbit. No one is in any danger, but this wasn't exactly supposed to happen this way. Finally, beyond lights in the sky and creatures in the dark forest, there are cases of people going missing mysteriously in every national park. Olympic National Park is no exception. It appears that every decade or so, there's a case of someone disappearing in Olympic National Park. This time, it's Brian Lee Johnson, who went missing last month while reportedly hiking in the Ozet area of the park. Over 50 park rangers and volunteers from at least three counties have been diligently searching for any trace of Johnson. So far, they have only found his parked truck at the Ozette trailhead. Inside the vehicle, they discovered receipts of various Port Angeles businesses dating back to August 22nd, the day he left his home in Seattle. Johnson, 71 years old, had planned a two to three day hike on the Ozette Loop Trail. This trail is about a nine mile loop that follows a mainly planked path for three miles northeast to the Pacific Ocean. Then it turns south along the beach for three miles, and later follows a second plank trail inland for another three miles to the trailhead. Although the plank trails are easy to follow, the beach portion of the hike can be challenging, especially during high tide when hikers may need to navigate around steep headlands. The search team has thoroughly explored these areas and still no sign of Johnson can be found. In the past 25 years, at least three other individuals have also gone disappearing while hiking in the Olympic National Park. The first is Stefan Bessert, a German exchange student and Fulbright scholar at Oregon State University. He went hiking with a friend on January 20th, 1992. He was ill-prepared for the harsh winter conditions in Olympic Mountains and had planned a solo day hike from Solduck Hot Springs, covering a distance of 24 miles over High Divide and ending at the Ho River Trailhead. Next, John Devine, an experienced hiker, intended to hike into the park from Mount Baldy in Olympic National Forest. Unfortunately, despite an extensive weeks-long search, which was marred by a tragic helicopter crash that killed three, no sign of Devine was ever found. This occurred September 6th, 1997. And finally, we have Gilbert Gilman, the Deputy Director of the State Department of Retirement Systems, went hiking in the staircase area on June 24th, 2006. After finding his Thunderbird parked at the trailhead, rangers and volunteers conducted a 10-day search. Some research volunteers believe Gilman might not have met his end in the Olympics, speculating about alternative trails that could have led elsewhere. Despite finding several bodies in the park during this time, including human remains in the formerly Aldwell Lake Bottom. The mysteries surrounding the disappearances of John Devine, Gilbert Gilman, and Stefan Bissert remain unsolved. Looks like that's all for tonight, dear listeners. Until next time, I'll be leaving you in the dark where whispers linger and shadows dance. Stay wary, sleep well, and beware the whispers in the night. If you have a story to tell, you can reach us via email at contact at campfirecultpod.com or leave us a voicemail message at 720-297-8608. Find us all over the place socially at Campfire Cult Pod and online at campfirecultpod.com. 
And finally, if you don't mind, please rate and review wherever possible.